wow, what was that? God was telling me I better preach the word, I guess. I've told you guys this before in the fall. This is probably my favorite time of the year at Gateway. It's my favorite time of the year in the mountains and the snow is coming and then just the people where, you know, it's back down to kind of our family, our church family. We still love the people from Texas, but it's great to just look across and be like, man, there's my brother, my sister, and, and these are the people I live my life with. And so I want to give us just 60 seconds to look across, look over, look over there and look over that way, look over there. And look across and find somebody just a little ways away from you that you haven't said hi to this morning. 60 seconds, go give them a hug. On your mark, get set, go. Morning. All right, all right. That's probably about enough. That's it. No more. Okay. You guys can all have a seat. So we've said it a whole bunch of times, bunches and bunches of times, that uh, the book of Hebrews tells us don't give up meeting together. And uh, as I was growing up as a kid, boy, I'll tell you, I mean, that was, uh, that was pounded into me. Don't give up meeting together. We're always going to be here when the doors are open. And, and we just, at least where I grew up, maybe you didn't, but where I grew up, we just missed that next little section that says, instead, make sure you get together and encourage one another. That's, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to do what we just did just now, is encourage each other. And, and I hope that was something that encouraged you and you felt good just for... Uh, for a couple of minutes to get to say hello to your brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's why we're going to gather back here tonight at 6 o'clock. And we'll be right here in this room, and all these pews will be moved to the side. We're going to have tables out here uh, that you can sit around. And uh, you'll have a chance to be blessed by other people, your brothers and sisters from Gateway, brothers and sisters from other places in town at your table. And we'll, uh, yeah, you'll have a chance to share what God's been doing in your life if you want to. We, won't, we, we never make anybody you know, say something they don't want to, but you'll have a chance if you would like to share what God's been doing in your life. And so we'll meet here at 6 o'clock. That is an instrumental service. We do instrumental worship here at Gateway uh, sometimes during the year, not on Sunday mornings. And so for some of you that uh, that may make you uncomfortable, we've made it crystal clear that we, have, we worship a cappella on Sunday mornings. This is our tradition, and we love it. And uh, but on, tonight, this will be an instrumental service, so we always want to be clear about that so nobody is shocked or uh, uh, upset about that. Hey, Chad and Toby. I didn't know you guys were here. Good to see you guys. Yeah, Chad and Toby are here. I'm glad you're here. All right, well, somebody said preach the word, so I guess I better get to it. I, I just wanted to say I hope you'll be here tonight at 6 o'clock to join in this community communion service. It's going to be a real blessing.
heard a joke, and it's not a great one. So, warning, not a great joke coming. Arthur's about 90 years old, been playing golf every day for the last 25 years since he, uh, since he retired, just about every day. And he comes home one day, and he just tells his wife, he's like, honey, I, I think that's it. I'm giving it up. I'm quitting. And she said, why? And he said, my eyesight. I can't see anymore. I mean, he said, I still hit the ball good. I have no idea where the ball goes. And she said, well, she said, don't give up yet. She said, I'll tell you what, tomorrow go and take my brother with you. And, she, and he said, what's that going to help? He said, your brother's 103 years old. She said, well, he may be 103, but he has 20-20 vision, perfect sight. All right, uh, we'll give it one more try. So they go out and they go to the golf course, they go to the tee box, number one. And uh, Arthur tees up. He's out there with his brother-in-law. He says, are you ready? His brother-in-law says, And he smacks that ball, gives it a you know, great hit, really nails it. And uh, he squints, can't see anything, turns around his brother-in-law. He says, did you see that? And he said, yeah, I saw it. I told you I got 20-20 vision. He said, well, where did it go? And he goes, I can't remember. <laughs> yeah. I can't remember. So see, getting old, older, I'm experiencing this. My eyes are getting bad. I can't hear half the things people say anymore. I forget people's names. I forget stuff. All the, You know, it's just in this, this body, we have some physical things that are tough that happen to us. And, and part of that is our eyesight, physical eyesight. But there's something else that happens, too, with our eyesight. I had this experience recently. Somebody was telling me how to get somewhere here in town. And I don't remember where they were telling me and... and, and but they, they gave me directions sort of like this, like, go down to the yarn shop and turn right, and then you'll get past that, and you'll go to the stop sign, and uh, there's like a pet shop there, and you're going to turn left, and then, you know, after you get past the pet store, uh, then you're going to go to the cooking store and pull into the parking lot, and it's right on the other side of the street. And it wasn't those exact things, but I'm just saying it's kind of something like that, basically, that I was listening to the, the directions, I was thinking... I live in this town. I don't know where any of those places are. I don't know where one single one of those places are that person's telling me. And, and I drive around this town all the time. I've seen those places with my eyes. I'm able to see the signs and know what's there. But I have ignored. I, I've just, I just have, what would you call it, a vision that is selective that's the word i was trying to think of selective vision see my mind i can't remember see i forgot the word selective selective vision i have that and there's certain things certain things that they're they're there but i just don't see them i haven't paid attention to them and it can be the same way with people have you ever thought about that there's people all over the place I never even see them. Jesus sees people. And it's important for us to realize that we have the opportunity to do the same thing. So we're going to read from Luke chapter 7. I'm going to pray, and then we'll just read from the Bible today. Luke chapter 7. Dear God, thank you. Thank you for our church family, Lord. I thank you for this time to be together today, to worship you, to sing these songs of praise, to... uh, Wow, to hear, hear Patricia share her testimony about, about making a difference in little bitty, little bitty kids' lives. To see those pictures today and, and to get to give some hugs and, and uh, to 
experience your love that Brian talked about and we sang about, to experience that through one another. Thank you, God. I'm so glad to be here today. I'm so thankful for this body of believers. We pray tonight that you'll bring the body of Christ together here in these walls and that many people will come from many different churches to commune together tonight. We pray that'll be a great time of celebration and uh, of joy. Now, Lord, as we read your word, we certainly need your Holy Spirit to teach us. And so, Holy Spirit, we invite you, we open our hearts to you right now. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 7 and beginning in verse 11. Luke 7, beginning in verse 11. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town. I think I have this actually up here on this uh, screen if I would pay attention to what I'm doing. Yeah. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a large crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. And he said, Don't cry. And he went up and he touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. There's just a couple of things I want us to look at today from this text that I want us to think about as we consider this idea of encountering Jesus, people who met Jesus along the way. And the first one is this. Jesus sees interruptions as opportunity. Jesus sees interruptions as opportunity. Think about Jesus and his disciples. They're coming into this town called Nain. And they're there for some purpose. The Bible doesn't make it crystal clear what exactly they're doing, but certainly they're going around and they're spreading the good news that the kingdom of God is here. They're moving from place to place. Well, how do you do that? How How do you get that message out? I mean, maybe you have a strategy or a plan or goals or you have a checklist and all of that is fine, but I want to tell you mostly what I see Jesus doing in the Gospels. His plan is to keep his eyes open. That's his plan. Keep his eyes open for opportunities to share the good news. Keep his eyes open for people who need God's help right now, right where they are today, to keep his eyes open for that God-ordained interruption that will be his opportunity to be the gateway between heaven and earth. Remember when Matt talked to us about that, how we still get to be the gateway between heaven and earth, and so was Jesus. And so he's looking for that, the moment when he can invite people to transition from one kingdom to another kingdom. And and quite honestly, a funeral seems like a pretty unlikely place to bring good news. But here's the thing we should see. Jesus walks into any situation, no, no matter, listen to me close, no matter how dead things may appear, God walks in and he offers love and joy and peace and life. And the reason he can offer those things is because he is those things. He is love and joy and peace. Jesus did not see this interruption 
as just one more annoyance to stop him from accomplishing what he intended to do. He saw through different eyes than we often do. Here's here's a woman that he sees and he has compassion on her. This, This is a mourner that he cares about. This is a person that he values and he's willing to step into her pain. That's what he sees. And I think we also have to think about the widow. What about her? She, of course, has to be destroyed by this horrible tragedy. Her husband apparently has died because she's a widow. And now her only son has died. And it's likely she's about to be facing loneliness. She's about to be facing some big decisions about how she's going to make a living. She has some big things ahead of her. And while a funeral is a horrible event to plan for your child, as a few of you know firsthand, I think it's likely that she had done some planning. Don't you? I think it's likely that she had planned what was going on. This is her child, the one that she loved more than life itself. And you have to know she's thought a bit about this funeral service. She's, she's considered it. Which way will they walk through the town? Perhaps on his favorite street. Maybe they'll go past the place where he worked or where he attended school. She's imagined the best way that she could honor her son and make this last day the best that it could possibly be on a horrible day. And I guarantee you, a stranger stopping the procession is not on her plans. It's not on her radar. Imagine if, because of her plans, because of what she intended to get done, imagine if she had said to Jesus, Hey, hey, get your hand off of his coffin. You get away from my son. Get away. Don't you interrupt this. You are not going to mess up my plans. You leave us alone. That could have happened. There are people in the Bible who asked Jesus, leave us alone. And the very next verse in the Bible says he got in a boat and he left. He left them alone. That could have happened. And it's possible for us to do the same thing with Jesus. In our pain, in our chaos, in our sadness, We're we're really just doing the best we can. And it's possible that when Jesus tries to step in, he's trying. He's trying to interrupt what's going on in our life. He tries to step into that part of our life. It is possible to refuse him. He gives us free will. We can say, no, hey, get away. Leave me alone. I want to encourage you and me not to refuse him. I want to encourage you and me not to refuse the interruption that he's trying to make in our life, whatever that might be. Not to refuse his instruction to us, no matter how much his instructions don't match what we think is going to happen in the future, what we've got planned. In fact, do the opposite of refusing his interruption. I encourage all of us to invite him into our pain, as this widow must have done. She allowed him into the funeral, into her pain. And so there may be some part of your life, whatever it is, and you know it's just dead. But you know God doesn't want it to be dead. Jesus wants to step into that place and bring life. You know there's some part of your life that is stressful. It's total chaos. It is nuts. When you even try to people up, tell people the story, they can't even understand. It's just craziness. Jesus wants to interrupt that. He wants to bring peace. There may be some part of your life that is deep, deep sorrow right now. 
And Jesus wants to interrupt and bring joy. So I'm encouraging you, first of all, this morning to let him interrupt your life. And secondly, be willing to be interrupted by others, just like he was. See, I think interruptions are pretty annoying, right? Wouldn't you guys agree that interruptions are pretty annoying? I think they are. And I've been praying for all of us to experience interruptions this week. One day in the next seven days, you and I, you or I, we're going to have things to accomplish that day. We're going to have a job to do. We're going to have a family to take care of. We're going to have bills that we've got to pay that day and a doctor's appointment we've got to make. You're going to have something on your car that's got to be fixed. Your house has to have something bought for it. A lunch meeting with a friend, a tea time at the golf course. And you are going to be busy one day this week. And I am praying that we will get interrupted on those days. I'm praying that we will get interrupted so that we can have the opportunity to bless someone that was not going to be a part of our plan this week. You might notice if you got a mission card, I hope you guys are all taking these. Uh, We've had a team of people over the last several weeks that have worked really hard. And this week, uh, Nancy Swanner did a great job of writing a short devotional for us. And there's what we need to read this week, Luke 7 and 8, and uh, if you want to be memorizing scripture, there's a scripture to memorize. And your mission, should you choose to accept it this week, tell three people three things God has done for you. That might be your opportunity when you get interrupted. Oh, is this, oh, I'm getting interrupted. Is this when I'm supposed to tell about what God's done in my life? So, number one, Jesus sees interruptions as opportunity. And the second thing that we have to see from this text and about the book of Luke in general and this next short text in chapter 8, verse 1 through 3 that we're going to read is the way that Jesus sees women. See, many men see women and they see them as something to use. Many men see women and they see them as being below Many men see women, and they see them just as something to be tolerated. But Jesus did not see women that way. Jesus sees women as valuable. Chapter 8 and verses 1 through 3 says this right here. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him. That's talking about the apostles, the twelve men that he chose. And also, some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's Herod's household. Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. I think a lot of times we read this and we just kind of read over like, oh, there's a little incidental thing about some people. But this is remarkable. These are remarkable words that I just read. Because these are women in Jesus' ministry. And that's remarkable because the society that he's in did not see women as equally able to come to God. They did not see women as equally able to serve God as men. There was a custom among some men in this culture, and that was to pray once a day and thank God 
Thank you, God, that I was not created a woman. Now, that's not in the Bible. I'm just saying we know from history that there were some men who prayed that kind of prayer. As a matter of fact, here's another contemporary writing at the same time, and I really want to make sure you understand this is not in the Bible, what I'm about to say. One time I had someone call me and say, hey, John, what was that you said about that was in the Bible? And they said, and I'm like, no, 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 no. No, 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 that's not the Bible. So you ready? This is not in the Bible. Here we go. In a contemporary writing that anticipated the afterlife claimed this, that in the afterlife, women would be changed into men. Because they would be perfected, I guess, you know, I suppose. Uh, So anyways, I'm just saying that was a contemporary writing during that time. This is the culture that Jesus lived in. Women could have a relationship with God, but only through a man. Women could come to the temple of God, but only to the women's area, no closer. Not any further in and close to God Yet here is God himself. God, Jesus, is inviting women to participate in his mission in the world. And here were women that were not only associating and they're around Jesus and his male disciples, but they are traveling with them. And they were an important part of Jesus' ministry. I believe Christ a lot of the things we read about what Christ did, that he worked within the cultural traditions of the first century. If he didn't, he just would have blown the whole thing up and it would have, you know, he, I mean, he, he got crucified anyways, but he just would have, it would have just been unbearable if he hadn't worked within the context of where they lived. But he was unwilling to accept the limitations that had been placed on women by their culture. He would not do it. Unlike the men of his generation and his culture, Jesus taught that women were equal to men in the sight of God. He taught that women could receive God's forgiveness and God's grace. He taught that women, as well as men, could be among Christ's personal followers. He taught that women could be full participants in the kingdom of God. Jesus offered full discipleship to women. And that was amazing that he did that. Women were free to follow him, and he saw them as a valuable part in his ministry to the world. Think about some of these women right here that are just in the book of Luke. I didn't even do all Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just in the book of Luke. Think about some of these women right here. First of all, obviously Mary. Mary is mother. Jesus came to this world through the hard work of a woman, his mother. And she wrote, she's a songwriter. I don't know if you ever think about that when you think about Mary. But if you look in chapter 1, what you find, chapter 1, 46 through 55, is a beautiful song that's known as the Magnificat that Mary wrote a beautiful hymn. She's a hymn writer. Elizabeth. Elizabeth had the faith in God to name her son John, just like the angel had told her husband, even though her husband didn't have that faith initially. And her son would pave the way for Jesus' ministry. Anna. She's a prophetess in chapter 2 of Luke. She's one of the first people to announce in the temple courts that the Messiah has arrived. She tells everybody, The Messiah has arrived. In chapter 7, a sinful woman. Right here, we just read about the woman whose son was raised, and then we skip to chapter 8, right in between that. So women, 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 all right here in this whole part. In chapter 7, what we find is a woman who was a sinful woman came and anointed his feet, and he allowed it. And he lifted her up, and he forgave her of her sins when other men would have cast her away. In chapter 21, he recognizes the poor widow, I believe, that Rod was talking about. 
He recognizes this, this poor widow as an example for all of us, men and women alike. Be like this woman, guys. Hey, you Pharisees that think you're so great, he says, that are giving so much of your stuff. Look at this woman. Be like this woman, is what Jesus says. Women have prominent places in some of the parables. Here's just a couple of them. In chapter 18, the persistent widow. She keeps knocking on the door. She keeps, she keeps demanding justice. And Jesus holds that woman up as an example for us. You should pray. You should be like this woman. In chapter 15, a woman is searching for a coin in this parable, and she finds it. And Jesus compares this woman to Almighty God. He said, I want you to know what Almighty God is like. He's like this woman. That's what he's like. He's searching for what is lost. In chapter 13, there's a sick woman. We'll study this fully uh, in a couple of weeks, but for now, just the sick woman that's healed, he calls her a daughter of Abraham. Now, a son of Abraham, that got kicked around a lot, and we can find that throughout the Bible, but for Jesus to use the word daughter of Abraham, are you kidding me? Mary and Martha, in chapter 10, he teaches us that Women are responsible for their own growth in Christ, in growing in the grace and knowledge, just as men are. When they're at Mary and Martha's house, they're in Bethany. Martha is working in, to get things ready, and Jesus does not say there's anything wrong with her doing that. He says, you've chosen something good, and that's a good thing. Those domestic things are good, he says. But Mary has chosen something better, and that is to sit down at the feet of Jesus. And I, 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 I just tell you this because I think it's important for us all to realize we just learn new things when we read the Bible. We always learn new things. It doesn't matter how many times you read it. I saw for the first time in my life, I read this so many dozens of times, she's sitting at Jesus' feet with the men. She's in the room with the men while he's teaching. That doesn't go in this culture. That's not how it's supposed to be. But Jesus says, she's chosen what's good, what's better, right here at my feet. Mary of Magdala, chapter 23, Jesus appears to her first when he raises from the dead. Mary Magdala. It's ironic that during a time in the culture and history of the world that women were not even legal witnesses in a court of law, Jesus chooses a woman to be his first witness. Dorothy Sayers says this, Perhaps it's no wonder that the women were first at the cradle and last at the cross. They had never known a man like this, man. There never has been such another. A prophet and teacher who never nagged at them, never flattered or coaxed or patronized them, who never made arrogant jokes about them, who rebuked without negativity, and praised without condescension, who took their questions and arguments seriously. So what is the point, John? I mean, what, what are you trying to say? The point is this. The point is that Jesus encountered women, and he had had eyes to see them different than his culture, and the Jewish religion saw them. Let me allow Paul to make the point again for us. This was already read this morning. Let's look at it one more time. Paul says this about us Christians. You were all baptized into Christ. 
And so you are all clothed with Christ. This means that you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. In Christ, there is no difference between Jew and Greek, slave and free person, male and female. You are all the same in Christ Jesus. You belong to Christ, so you are Abraham's descendants, and you will inherit all of God's blessings because of the promise that God made to Abraham. And so to finish this lesson today, this is what I want to do. I want to ask all the women, all the girls, all the ladies, whatever you're called, women, girls, ladies, females, I want to ask all of you to stand. Stand up, please. I'm inviting you to stand. Every woman. And I want to say something to you on behalf of the men in this church. While some in this world may see you as less than men, while some guys may think that your only value is the way you look and whatever pleasure you might bring to them, while some males may only believe that you are only good for what you can do to serve them, while there may be those who think that you are good at raising children but not really needed for anything else, while there may be some who think that as men they are better than you women. While that may be true, what I just said, of some men, we, the men of this church, today, that are followers of Christ here, we want you to know that we believe you are co-heirs with us. We want you to know that you are co-workers with us in the kingdom of God. We want you to know that you are co-ministers and co-leaders with us as we spread the good news about Jesus Christ in this village. We want you to know that we see your amazing gifts that the Holy Spirit has given each one of you, empowered you with, and we respect your abilities and you help us grow. We want you to know that we hear your words, we hear your beliefs, we hear your convictions, we hear your hearts for Christ, and they influence all of us men in this room to be better men, to be better husbands, to be better dads, to be better followers of Christ. And we are proud to stand side by side with you as our sisters in Christ. Do all of you men agree? All right, you may be seated. And I just want to say personally, now, this is not for all the men in this church. This is for John Duncan. That many of you here have led me forward in my walk with Christ. Many of you women, through your teaching me things about the Bible, through listening to you, your beautiful prayers, through hearing your hearts, through the songs that you sing to us, and the testimonies that you speak to us. You have helped me, John, be a better follower of Jesus. And I thank you, each one of you ladies that has done that for me. So as we wrap this thing up, there are two questions to consider today as we finish and we offer an invitation. The first one is this, how do you see people? How do you see people? And if you see them as annoyances and you see some people as below you, 
whether it's gender or for other reasons. Ask God to give you new eyes this week to see people the way that he sees people. And number two, do you need to allow Jesus to interrupt the funeral that's happening in your life? Is there something that's dead or dying that he wants to step in and bring healing and life to? And the question really, I guess, is will you allow him to do it? Will you allow him to step in and raise what is dead to life? If we can help you with praying about that, that's why we have this invitation. There's going to be shepherds. I think probably some of their wives will be around. And so you come either in the back or the front as we stand and sing.